Hello and welcome to the Data Busters podcast, the podcast for all things school data. We're just after the halfway point in the academic year, with just under a term and a half to go until the end of the teaching year. And as we've passed March the 2nd, it's time to consider the fact that every child with a birthday between now and the end of August is younger than average for their year group. Yes, age matters. And in this episode, we're looking at the conundrum of age-related expectations and the tricky concept of the lowest 20% of readers. I'm Richard Selfridge, author of Data Busting for Schools, and joining me as always is Jamie Pembroke, data buster extraordinaire, insight facilitator, and all-round data guru. Jamie, hello, and uh, I hope that you are well. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good, thanks. Uh, sat here in the, uh, in the rain and the drizzle. I believe it's been snowing up with you. Oh, in sunny Yorkshire, it's always sunny, but also snowing. So uh, somebody might be able to work out that those two, two statements are not compatible. But yeah, no, we've got a bit of snow. It's that sort of mid-March period of, my goodness, winter has been going on a long time. How much are my heating bills? And exactly. You know, so I know that you and I are obsessed with mm. data. So I'm sure that you've been looking at yours. Um, but my data on, on uh, um, heating this winter has been exciting. Oh, well, I just, um, I just ignore it. <laughs> that's a very wise idea I don't, I don't, I, yeah i don't want to look thank you very much no, i think um, exactly i've seen it now i want to move on anyway yes, so it's good exactly. to um, be uh, back recording last time we spoke we were talking about um helping governors with data and that's always been an interesting one yeah. again i know both of you and i are governors and we help other people um it's been again really interesting to talk to people about um, how do you synthesize um, data for governors and how do you help governors to understand what information they should be asking for? Um, how have you found that of late? Uh, I actually did some governor training um, a couple of weeks ago. And, and I suppose my governor training is, is rather unorthodox. And um, <laughs> I, I, but I, I, uh, where I sort of point out that a lot of it is highly unreliable and, and some of it is just downright nonsense. Um, but uh, one of the things I always like to talk about is where, where we are now, where we've come from. So you, you remind them of the raise report that was a hundred and whatever pages long. And that now we're reduced to the data summary report that you could print on a post-it and, uh, and how this is better really, you know, and I think that, uh, hope, I, I, I think that's a reflection of the fact that Ofsted have, uh, reached the conclusion that a lot of data is unreliable there is a limit to what we can do with statutory assessment data and therefore we should be concentrating on other things in schools rather than on the data and certainly not looking at internal assessment data um, which hopefully the knock-on effect of that is that schools repurpose their assessment data to be more kind of pupil focused rather than Ofsted focused i.e the warts and all picture rather than the rose tinted view you know, so it, it is good, but there's a long way to go with with governors trying trying to get these messages across. I obviously talk to schools all the time and I often hear I often have a head teacher in front of me saying, Will you please come and talk to my governors? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Um, yeah. so yeah. yeah, there's some way to go, but I think things are improving. Exactly. I, we did get a really good reaction from the, uh, the last podcast because a lot of people said that they were using that podcast to share it with governors because we obviously had a lot of governors um, who joined us um, yeah. for the Insight um, webinar, which, which um, you facilitated. It was really good to have that. So, again, I'm going to encourage all listeners, if you've not had a chance to listen to that, um, go back to it because it really helps that governors pull schools 
um, and that uh, and that schools are pushing governors to say, actually, you know, we have got useful data. Um, there is useful information yeah. we need to collect, um, but we need to be, you know, just just wiser and, and smarter about what we use. Yeah, I think there's there's always going to be an issue um, in, in schools where uh, governors have a job to do to challenge, um, to to monitor and challenge, um, and that requires some data. But then we have to uh, we we have to remember and we have to accept that there is a risk there then to the integrity of that data, just as we have when Ofsted were focusing on it and just as we have with when local authority advisors or anyone is coming in to monitor the standards of a school and look at that data and make some uh, conclusion draw some conclusions about how well that school is doing there is always that risk that things get inflated or the perverse incentive of making baselines lower um, and governors need to understand that um, but yeah I, I enjoyed that that was a that was a good um, a good session and I, I'm, I'm glad that it was yeah have been well received and it yeah. has definitely. Yeah. Um, so this month we're going to look at the uh, the vexed question of age related expectations and particularly um, yes. what Ofsted mean when they talk about the lowest twenty percent of readers. Now you've written a blog about this, which uh, which we're going to look mm. at a few things to do it. And we've obviously been talking about you know the issue of age um, when it comes to particularly youngest children in school, but for all children in school it does make a big difference. But we're yeah. going to have a look at a couple of things about uh, about you know what I say some of these these issues particularly as related to Ofsted because as you put in your latest blog um, in the school inspection handbook there's a paragraph paragraph 242 um, and that's got this lovely little section which says on inspections of infant junior primary and lower middle schools inspectors will carry out a deep dive uh, yep to evaluate how well pupils are taught to read and they'll pay particular attention to pupils who are reading below age-related expectations which they then put in brackets, the lowest 20%, to assess how well the school is teaching phonics and supporting all children to become confident, fluent readers. And this will include understanding of how reading is taught remotely where applicable. So what have the ramifications of this guidance been for schools then? <laughs> this innocent little statement buried in the handbook has caused loads of uh, concern, confusion. Um, it's a really interesting one. So... Uh, the, the, the thing that people have zeroed in on is that, that phrase, the lowest 20% in, in the brackets there. Um, and, and so the first question is, who are the lowest 20%? So who are they referring to? Are they referring to children in a school who fall into the lowest 20% nationally based on their attainment at the last statutory assessment? Or are they talking about children in the lowest 20% of our school? just to ignore national picture is to ignore all that if we just take all the children in each class in our school rank them all in order who are lowest 20 percent um and of course as i you know i joke about this that everyone every organization every school every department every every educational establishment has got its lowest 20 percent you know the highest performing grammar schools and and uh, eton and the oxford university physics department everywhere has their lowest 20 percent but but the clue in the phrase before it, below age-related expectations. Now, what Ofsted mean by that, um, and I have discussed this with lots of people, is children who are falling short of expected standards, which I would prefer if they use that phrase, and we'll get onto this, but children below expected standards. So those would be children who, it does mention the word phonics, doesn't it? It does indeed, yes, exactly. Yeah. So, 
so children who um, don't pass the phonics standard in year one, for example, and, and so uh, the DfE have released some data recently looking at the, uh, the correlation uh, between passing expected standards in year one and going on to meet expected standards at the end of key stage two, you know, and they're very, uh, and I rightly so, I understand that, you know, that it pains to point out that if you've got a much higher chance of achieving expected standards at key stage two, if you pass the phonics in year one. Um, anyway, so below age related expectations. Now, of course, in some schools, there may be none. In some, certainly in some classes, in some schools, particularly smaller schools, there may be no children. Everyone passed the phonics. And then at key stage one, everyone met expected standards, you know, so they don't have any. They'll have their own lowest 20%, relatively speaking, but they don't have any children below age-related expectations by that definition. And then you'll have other schools where it could be the majority. You could have a cohort of children where more than 50% of children didn't meet the phonics standard or didn't meet expected standards at key stage one. And, and obviously now since lockdown, and we've seen there's been a drop in key stage one results, and we've seen there's a drop in phonics results as well. So it was, um, it was 82% in 2019, 82% of children passed phonics, 18% didn't. And now it's 75%, 2022, 75% passed, 25% didn't. So I, I think, Broadly speaking, it, based on historical data, around about 80% of children passed the phonics standard nationally and about 20% didn't. So that's the origin, I think, of the lowest 20%. If you didn't pass the phonics, you'd, be, you'd fall into the lowest. You were below age-related expectations and you're in the lowest 20% nationally. Well, actually, now you'd be in the lowest 25% nationally because of the change in results. And when it comes to key stage one results, it's, it's an even higher proportion than that. So that's where the I think the phrase comes from. But it's really problematic to uh, to, to kind of equate below age related expectations with the lowest 20 percent, because actually, based on national results, it's not precisely 20 percent that don't meet age related expectations. It's it's always well, these days, it, it, based on 2020, it's higher than that. Yeah. So they're not the same thing. No, exactly. And it's right. quite interesting because, because, because we do have some uh, pretty useful data population level about percentage of people who are not meeting the various age-related expectations in early reading because we've got those different um, figures that we've got for uh, the early learning goal in reading and for key stage one um, in reading, haven't we? So, so again, those yeah. numbers are quite interesting. I put those uh, and now I'm, I'm scrabbling to find them. I put those in my blog. So let's just find uh, those. Right. So um, the early learning goal in reading. This is the percentage of children that didn't meet it. Okay, so early learning goal in reading, 2019, 23%. 2022, 25%. Um, year one phonics, 2019, 18%. 2022, as I mentioned, 25%. Key stage one, expected standards in reading, uh, not meeting it. 2019, 25%. 2022, 33%. So it's a whole third. So if you don't meet the expected standards at key stage one in reading, you're not in the lowest 20%. You're in the lowest third. So there we go. Um, that's the numbers. Um, so I think that's that's already problematic to use the phrase um, below uh, age related expectations brackets lowest twenty percent because they're not the same thing. And 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 quite understandably, this has caused a huge amount of confusion. So the first thing I wanted to point out is that below age related expectations does not equate to the lowest twenty percent. Now that just sounds like I'm being a bit of a pedant. Now. I did speak to an HMI about this. Uh, he, he, he actually um, messaged me, someone I know uh, quite well, messaged me and said, look, this is what we do. The start point is statutory assessment. Based on 
character assessments. We go into schools, and if you've got children that didn't meet phonics standard in year one, or I guess didn't meet expected standards at key stage one in reading, that would be our start point. Uh, we've established that they're not in the lowest 20%. They could be the lowest 30% or lowest 25%, whatever. But that's mm-hmm. our start point. Um, I've made my point to him and to others that I think putting that 20% thing is really confusing. They should just say children that didn't meet the standard would be much more useful. Okay. In statutory, in the most recent statutory assessment. Sorry, on statutory assessment. Yeah. So in um, their guidance, so, that 20% is, is slightly, is, has caused that confusion. Actually, what we're looking at is yeah. this, this yeah. description of age-related expectations, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so um, he, he said that, uh, I'll start point, if you've got children that didn't meet age-related expectations, right, and I would say who didn't meet expected standards, okay, because we'll move on to the age-related thing in a minute, um, th- then we'll start with those. If you don't have any or many, then we'll start, relatively speaking, to look at the weaker readers in your classes, in, in your cohorts, right? So they may have met standards, they're struggling, okay? They may have only just met phonics standard or only just met expected standards, whatever, so... Okay, um, and, and so they're going to, relatively speaking, so that's that's the kind of the order of things. I think they need to sharpen up on the, the guidance. But but when I started writing that blog, so I, I did all that bit, and, and then I started to really think, I sort of did a so, some deep thinking about that, that whole phrase, age-related expectations, and what it actually means. And as I said, it would be more helpful if they said, didn't meet expected standards, rather than below age-related expectations, because it's not really got anything to do with age. That's my problem. Mm. not age related and i make the point in the blog the only phase of education where when they use the phrase age-related expectations they really mean it is early years if you use develop matters or if you use birth to five matters or, or whatever framework you are going to be taking age into account age is incredibly important obviously in early years that you will have children at the uh at different levels of development different stages of development that you would you would say are typical for their age, you know, or, or at age-related expectations, if you like. They're both doing different things, capable of doing different things at different stages of development because there's a year difference potentially between those two. Um, or you could have children at the very same level of development um, and you could be claiming that you could say that one is below age-related expectation and the other could be at age-related expectations because you've got a child who can do all these things and they are summer born and you think well that's quite impressive you know whereas uh, that's uh, impressive that's more advanced you know above to whereas you could have um, an autumn born child who can do the same sort of things and you might think well that's sort of below typical for their age so they, they are constantly adjusting assessments to take account of age and indeed the bands that they use are month bands you know they're between well, in in old in in the old framework, it's like twenty two to thirty six months, and then thirty to fifty, and forty to sixty months. You know, and you've got similar things in in birth to five now. So that takes account of age. Phonics. It, it, once you get out of early years, there is no adjusting for age. You're not taking account of age. And then I started to think, but maybe we should. <laughs> maybe yeah. we should. You know, yeah. because because if you're just identical, my problem. I guess this gets to the root of the problem. If go into a school and go right and start to look at the weakest readers and those children that are supposedly below age related expectations or didn't meet the phonics standard then there's a big chance they're just going to end up with a whole bunch of summer born children and we know from number of blogs the education data lab blogs on this are excellent you look at the difference between in attainment at key stage one or in phonics as well it's all out there in public domain rank it all in order look at the the difference between autumn born um September born and and um, August born, 
yeah, August-born children. And there's a massive difference, not just in early years, but obviously in phonics and at key stage one. So, yeah, uh, population level is that huge difference. It makes a big difference if you're born <laughs> in the year, later in the year. Um, again, um, it, we've just gone past March the 2nd, and I wrote a, a blog yeah. ages ago about the fact that that's the middle of the year. From now on, or as I said in the intro, all of the... Uh, uh, all of the children having birthdays between now and the end of the, of the year are younger than average. Um, and whilst, you know, every child is an individual and, and, and therefore, you know, the population statistics are, are, are not directly correlated to that child's outcomes, it still makes a difference. And, and again, we don't do this. And as you say, it is that fascinating thing that, that, that this is well understood within the literature. Um, yeah. And we know this. However, our statutory assessments take no account for it. You know, even the new reception baseline assessment, which has just been done, there is no yeah. age um, uh, uh, standardization yeah. there. So it's worth saying, just to really clarify for, for people. So we, because you and I are, are um, always keen for people to use standardized assessments where they can. But um, but standardized assessments can be age standardized. So again, just for somebody who knows nothing about that, do you want to just go through that a little bit about age standardization so, of assessments? Yeah. So, so uh, m most most standardised tests that schools are used to, from the likes of NFER, uh, Rising Stars, Hodder, um, GL, Star, they will provide standardised scores. Now, some of those are standardised scores where they are comparing the child's results to all the other children nationally, supposedly, where it's in the sample. They take a sample of, uh, of, of, of the population. Um, so they compare a child to all other children. Whereas with or age standardized scores, they compare the child's results to children who are born uh, at the same point in the year or sort of, you know, the same month, have the same month of birth. Well, I, I think actually they group them by two months, don't they? So it's, uh, it, I think it might be September, October born and what have you. So, so then you have like different bell curves, yeah. different groups. Um, and, and then what the, the effect of that is that you might have, it, it, I, I put it in the blog that it, it kind of irons out the creases caused by the month of month of birth but the differences in, in month of birth so if you then end up with children getting low scores the chances are it's not a factor of age anymore because you've adjusted for age you've taken account of age uh, it's more likely to relate to something else now i used to advise schools that and some some tests by the way provide both i think i think there are some test providers that give you standardized scores and age standardized scores so you choose and i, and I think that most go oh we just use the standardized score and i go oh yeah that's that's a good idea and of course you can always if you use systems like Insight, other systems are available. Um, if you use a system like that, then you can group your data. You go, well, let's let's put them into separate groups of autumn, spring, summer born. And then you, so you can use standardized scores, but then spring, uh, then, then group them by autumn, spring, summer born. And then it will quickly show if the, the, if overwhelmingly it's the summer born children that have got the low scores, you know, and, and, and that's that's fine. Um, mm. But but some some test providers, I think GL, they only uh, provide um age standardized scores um cat tests cat 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 tests that's a cat test, test isn't it anyway um cognitive ability tests yeah. um those are age standardized scores um and i i believe that, that grammar school entry tests are, are age standardized I there's think. also made sense some age standardization there as well yeah. Yeah, yeah so and and now i'm thinking well maybe that makes sense because yeah. one of the things we know about sunborn children is they the gap between sun born and autumn born children is wide certainly at foundation stage very wide we know that in terms of development big gap phonics i've looked at this the data is out there nationally you can you can look at the difference in the autumn sun by month of birth you just well that's a huge difference key stage one and this is what uh, 
uh, Data Lab did with that blog. Um, I think it was Dave Thompson wrote that blog ages ago, which was um, it, it compared the gap between autumn by month of birth, looked at the results, um, key stage one, key stage two, and key stage four. And the gap is always there, but it narrows and narrows and narrows over time. Um, so we know that summer born children are behind in terms of attainment at uh when you know when they're younger the gap is really big they're behind but they catch up they make really good progress so i i'm sort of thinking well if there's this risk that you go and go talk about children not standards in phonics or key stage one then there's a high chance you're just going to get this predominantly summer born population i think that's exactly the key thing here is is um is what should we be assessing? You know, what, what's the standard that we should be assessing against? If you're talking about age-related expectations, what is the standard we should be relating uh, against? Which is why I think the age standardization of um, standardized, uh, age standardized scores are very useful because then you're comparing a child in a way that is um, that is more fair to the child. Because as we know, if you look at the whole sk- whole year group, and we've both written about this extensively, if you write the whole year group, this it's a big it's a big variation, particularly in uh, um, in early years when you know if a child is five in a, in a school year, some of the children are much older, you know you know ten fifteen percent older or younger than other their, their peers. So therefore, you need you need a decent um, uh, standard against which you can assess a child, so that you can compare a child. The problem, of course, you have is that for any individual child, they may be really good compared to other children born in August, or they may be mm. not so good compared to other children born in August. But what you need to do is to say, OK, you know, we can't go down to children who are born on a particular day and looking data for them, but we can yeah. bring it down to a day because then you get to this interesting thing of, well, what's an age related expectation for a child taking a phonic screening assessment? Because it's different for a child, systematically different for a child taking that assessment in September compared to a child who was born in September compared to a child taking it in August. And therefore, I think the real confusion is, and I think you've really drilled down into it, is to say you can't say age-related expectations and then say that's the bottom 20% because that isn't the bottom (laughs) Exactly. And I think that really then drills down into it, doesn't it? it, You might have it. And again, this is the thing that was worth saying for for listeners. If you know, it it is different. If you've got a child born in August and they've got a um, a phonics um, screening test, a score of let's say 33, that represents a different achievement to a child who is, who is born at the opposite end of the year, who gets the same score because. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so it it may well be that the, uh, that, that, that the average score yeah. for a child born in um, in September is 33. Yeah, uh, that might be the at 33 or 34, whereas the average score for a child born in August uh, might be 28. Exactly. Uh, and if those are age standardised, then oh. then 34 becomes the in terms of a standard a norm yeah, so a norm reference age standardised score 34 becomes 100, and yeah. for the other child uh, born at the other end of the year, uh, 28. Yeah. you know and and yeah. and so uh they're both at age-related expectations and then we're actually talking about age-related expectations we're really talking about age-related and, and then Ofsted coming in to mm-hmm. look at these children will go well they've got different scores but that's age-related expectations for those two different children because they are a year apart and they're very young so I'm not so concerned about those what I'd be more concerned about is the uh that maybe the the September born children child getting 30 uh, and the um, the August born child getting twenty four or, or or below twenty. I don't know. You know, yeah. so we, yeah. but we don't we don't know because we don't have the data. You know, so yeah. it's it's difficult to do. But yeah. um, the point 
is that when we talk about age-related expectations, unless we're in early years, uh, we're, we're not, we don't really mean age-related <laughs> expectations. And I think there is merit in considering and perhaps statutory assessment should be standardized and i'm starting to come round to the idea of using age standardized scores uh, so we're not always at risk of going oh these low attaining children here's our low attaining children they're just like well they're summer born children you know and we know that they're going to make tend to make good progress and we know that they're going to catch up so why do we want to worry why worry about it and of course then the knock-on effect of that is they are a much greater risk of being uh, misidentified as having special educational needs but they're just summer born Exactly. So there's because there's a correlation there as well. Again, as, as regular listeners probably know that uh, children who are assessed as having special educational needs are, tend to be the younger children in the in the years uh, in the year groups, particularly when they're when they're younger. So yeah, so we've got to get drilled right into some of the issues here, and it is that sort of defining um, terms and making sure that the, the people understand what they mean by particular terms. So what do you mean when you say age related? Because it's different in early years compared to year one. So I think then having looked into all of this where does that leave us because as you say that you get to a point of saying well maybe we should be using those age um standardized scores maybe we should do that at a statutory level but again in summary then there's some issues here aren't there you know the, the offset guidance we're all you know it, it does change over time and uh, um, as you say talking to to inspectors hmis they're aware of the fact that when you when these things when the rubber hits the road then, then we have to understand, you know, where where the difficulties come. But so, what should schools actually be doing then when they're thinking about um, age-related expectations, particularly thinking about um, readers um, and early readers and who the bottom twenty percent might be, and how you should respond if somebody comes and asks you? What are your thoughts on that at the moment? Uh, well, yeah, tricky one. So, um, I, I mean, we we talk about standardised tests a lot. I mean, if you want to identify uh, children who are in the lowest twenty percent, then if you've just done a phonics assessment and children don't pass the phonics, then quite clearly, whilst they're not actually the lowest 20%, the lowest 25% nationally, um, uh, they, they, and they may or may not be in the lowest 20% of your school, uh, but anyway, those are going to be the phonics. Uh, those, are going, those will be the focus. Um, but, but what happens after that, this is where um, standardised tests uh, do come into their own, because obviously they... Uh, they are associated with, they correspond to percentile rank. So you can identify children who are in the lowest 20% if you want to using standardized test scores. And I give some examples of that in the blog, um, but a score below 88, 88 is the 21st percentile and 87, uh, 87 is, is the 19th percentile. So, so you, you, you can use um, standardized tests of below 88 to identify children in the um, lowest 20% nationally if you want to. Um, and what I would uh, recommend doing is using a simple transition matrix uh, where you compare uh, children's standardized test outcome um, against their phonics outcome. So broadly speaking, we're grouping them into um, those who did or did not meet phonics and those who are or are not currently in the lowest 20% based on their standardized test outcome. So you can say, oh, here's a bunch of children who didn't meet the phonics. Are they still in the lowest 20%? standardized test they might be in year five now uh and here are a bunch of children who did meet the phonics standard are they or are they not now in the lowest 20 percent you know, so you can you can do that and that's that's quite a, a a sort of a quick way of doing it um i do think the wider thing is whether as i mentioned earlier whether really 
standardized test. Now, I know, I know this is not something we have control over, but whether standardized assessment should be a standardized. And, and I'm increasingly coming round to the idea of that. But that does require a total overhaul of our current system, uh, moving to um, norm referenced assessment, uh, standardized assessment. Um, we go back we often talk about that EDSK report where it recommended, you know, using scrapping the entire system of statutory assessment in primaries and replacing it with uh, yep. regular online adaptive tests, which could be mm -hmm. age standardized. But here's the thing. If you move towards norm referenced assessment, age standardized norm reference assessment, which would iron out, as I say, the creases caused by differences in age in year, mm -hmm. um, you would lose expected standards as yeah. we know it. Those expected standards would go. We'd be taught, we'd have a norm reference system rather than um, an expected standard system. Yeah. So, would yeah, that exactly. be and such if, a bad thing? So, <laughs> no, would that be such a bad thing? And I think again, you know, uh, all of this also makes uh, one come back to the point that the data is useful. Having the data is useful because it can allow you to ask some questions, but you should not be making hard and fast judgments based on some numbers which have been generated, particularly for very young children, because those numbers uh, are fuzzy, um, there's, there's, some, there's error within them, and so therefore one would hope that people coming to schools um, are not going to be, be judging schools and saying, um, your data tells me something. Because that's not yeah. the case. Your data allows me to ask questions. And I know that Ofsted have said this a number of times about things being signposts and not um, directions and so on. But I think, I think everything we've said here reinforces that. Of course, you've got young children in your school who are struggling with reading. You may have more um, pupils or fewer pupils than, than, than average or a typical, uh, like the, what the population statistics would suggest. But what you need to do is have a good understanding of who you think the children in your school are who need additional support. Uh, and you should know what additional yeah. support you're putting in place. Good. I think, well, I think that it gives yeah. a really good summary of uh, of that. Again, hopefully, we'll you know we'll see how things move forward. You know, we can always hope that the, the statutory assessments will be used more and more sensibly, um, mm. but uh, which is something which we're always keen for people to do. Um, but people can take this and and we'll see how how things move forward. Again, as ever, Absolutely. everybody, if you want to um, give us any feedback on this, it would be really useful. I know there've been various um, bits from your blog, and we'll put that in the show notes. People can uh, link into that. Um, but I think we've pretty much we have covered the subject. So there you have it. The Data Busters podcast is published monthly during the academic year and is available on all good podcast outlets. If you'd like what we're doing, please do recommend us to others. And if you have any questions, feel free to send in a voice recording or to contact us on Twitter, either at databusting or at jpembroke. And if you'd like us to put on a data busting day near you, please do get in touch and we'll see what we can do. And don't forget to get your copy of Dataproof Your School uh, and let us know what you think about our solutions for schools. Until next time, we hope our discussions here have given you an insight into the tricky concept of age-related expectations and the bottom 20% of readers. So until we meet again, keep data busting. Thank you.